So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. I hit record. I hit record. Welcome to Feature Creep, colon. Built-in microwave, semicolon. Uh, step, step in, into our wardrobe. Yeah, step into our wardrobe. Um, yeah, here we are. So this, uh, I think mostly we'll be talking about time perception today. Um, mm-hmm. The idea for this was kind of around the idea of, um, we were talking about, was it yesterday or whatever, we were talking about the, uh, like how kind of like line witch in the wardrobe kind of experience of like you go into a wardrobe and whole lifetimes pass and then you come out and it's only been like half an hour or the afternoon or something like that. Yes. Yeah. So we are masters at this. Yeah. And this is, um, and before we kind of get into that, uh, I think this dovetails really well with the liminal space. Like I think time perception is a big part of, um, experiencing liminal spaces where, uh, you know, liminal spaces, like we talked about before is this kind of idea that like, sort of normal rules are suspended mm-hmm. um and that can... yes i think there's almost always a temporal shift that like happens with that yeah and so you kind of end up with um you you might feel like whole whole long periods of time have passed but really you've only spent like the afternoon um, right so let's talk a little bit about some kinds of temporal perception so one of the easiest sort of temporal illusions that you can create for yourself or you may have already experienced um, is the idea of chronostasis um, or specifically there's a particular illusion often referred to as the stopped co- stopped clock illusion um, and yeah. and the stopped clock illusion is where the second hand of an analog clock appears to stay still for longer than normal when looking at it for the first time um, huh. it also can occur in an auditory or tactile domain uh, typically, okay. that this has to do with um, your your mind's sort of estimation of time. Uh, so the mechanism of ac- action, like let's look at, at at how this happens with a stop clock illusion. So typically, the way you experience this is that you look at the clock, and then you you believe or like you feel that the second hand took longer to move for that first tick. Like it, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's been, it's been like over a second and a half before it actually starts moving. Um, uh-huh. And this has to do with um, the way that your brain kind of pre preloads your cognition of that event with an estimation of what it should be doing or what it, what's happened. And so, you know, the reality is like you don't have an internal clock that's like tick, 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 one second, one second. I mean, maybe you do, but you don't have a conscious control of that in the way um, that you do have an external one. So when you're looking at it, the clock's actually setting the time and your mm-hmm. brain is now adjusting to what a second interval actually looks like. And so that first so that first time feels ex- like way too long. I mean, this is the this is an experience that I had all through my childhood because I mm-hmm. sat in classrooms staring at the clock waiting for it to be over, you know? Um, That's so funny. I mean, it's not funny that that yeah. was your experience. <laughs> right. It's funny that you're like hyper aware of this phenomenon because you experienced it over and over again. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, the 
I mean, to the point where at the time as a child, I didn't know, um, I didn't know there were terms for this or this was something that was studied, but I absolutely understood that I, my interaction with the clock had this illusion. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's, it was just, yeah. That's super, amazing. Yes. I yeah. can't think of a time, like I, I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of a time that I've actually, well, no, there's a clock in here and I, I'll bet this has happened to me a bunch and I'm just not remembering specific instances of it. Yeah. And I think you become more hyper aware of it when you're so hanging on the clock moving yes. forward to be, to yes. get over with your, whatever current suffering you're going through. Right. Um, and first grade. First grade. Second grade. Second grade. Third grade. Third grade. Yeah. Fourth grade. Yep. All the grades. All the grades. Yeah. Anytime you're in a, um, a prison inspired uh, building. Mm hmm. Yeah. every job i've ever had right so uh so anyway so chronostasis typically occurs um immediately following a cicada so um what is that so a cicada or a cicade um sorry a cicade is the idea of or it's the simultaneous movement of both eyes between two or more phases of fixation so it's like looking at one point and then looking at another in a sort of rapid movement um okay and so uh the sort of quick eye movement happens and so when you when you quickly cicade to the the second hand to be fixated on it and observe it that can oftentimes trigger in your brain this like miscalculation of how much time has passed um and so i guess some studies have shown that this effect can extend apparent durations by up to about 500 milliseconds or basically half a second hmm. Um, and it is consistent with the idea. So this is the idea is this is supporting evidence for the idea that the visual system models events prior to perception. So right. the visual system being both your raw stimulus of your eye cell, you know, your um, your eye nerves, like the optic mm -hmm. nerve, um, in conjunction with all of your um, all of the parts of your brain that help you process visual information. And so the idea they're suggesting here is that. Um, that whole system is is kind of preloading or sort of modeling events based on your past perception. So like you, you know, you kind of know how a clock behaves. And so your expectation mm -hmm. obviously is the second hand will move forward to the next mark. And that might happen in a certain time interval. Now, it turns out in those tight time intervals, your brain's not so great at estimating those, right? And so right. that's where you end up with these kind of illusions that you're like oh man that last second was just and i also found that i could have a little bit of experience with this with the with the minute hand because i think i had a couple of clocks in classrooms where they didn't either they didn't have second hands or yeah i'm pretty sure they didn't have second hands and so the minute hand would sort of tick over and yeah. i would always just be like oh man like i can't you know my ability to to observe the second like to observe like how long a minute was um or to like feel that was always like excruciating although i think that's maybe a little bit different um than this particular visual mechanism yeah um, that has more to do with just like internal estimation of how long time is um, yeah and you never get it right like no no you really don't doesn't yeah. matter what the length of the time is that you're trying to figure out you're never gonna get it right right, <laughs> right. if you're enjoying yourself it's going to be too soon even oh. if you are stultified it's gonna take forever right Right. That's funny. So, um, so uh, anyway, so perception of time, like time perception. There's also mm -hmm. 
uh, it doesn't seem current current research doesn't necessarily suggest that there's like one particular sort of system in the human body that that is like monitoring time or that is like a time related activity but it does but there is some suggestion that there's several systems that are kind of complementary um, that sort of govern the perception of time yeah, um, what are those and so they talk about uh, according to a wikipedia article if we're looking at uh the time perception article as of may 4th 2021 <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, time perception is handled by a highly distributed system involving the cerebral cortex, cerebellum, and the basal ganglia. Um, ah. So one particular component, the uh, suprachiasmatic nucleus, is responsible for the circadian or daily rhythm. 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 rhythm while other <laughs> cell clusters appear to be capable of shorter timekeeping. Um, there's some evidence that very short millisecond uh, durations are processed by dedicated neur- neurons in early sensory parts of the brain. Hmm. Um, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. There's uh, so there's ramifications um, for this, which is that there are these kinds of illusions that you can experience, um, and so usually, like a, t- a temporal illusion, is sort of a distortion of the perception of time. Um, and oftentimes I think people can identify with the idea of like when you're having a good time, time go- seems to go by really quickly when you're um, when you're having a difficult time or you're not having a particularly like stimulating time, time seems to drag on. Um, right. And, you know, I think as we get older, our perception of that kind of shifts. And I find also as I get older, my perception of time, like now that I'm over 40, like a year is a short period of time. Yes. But when I was younger, it was like, oh, man, a year is just a lifetime. Like, I don't yep. – the difference between where I am now in my life and a year from now is like I, I have no idea what's going to happen in a year. It's just insanity. Um, <laughs> you know. I know. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's like particularly difficult or like my particular life at that time meant that that was particularly true for me because it was so chaotic. Like I was just living, you know, out of a suitcase most of my young adulthood and Mm -hmm. um, like where I was going to end up after, you know, after a year was just, I I don't know. I have no idea. You know, last year I was in high school. This year I've dropped out and I'm, you know, stranded homeless on, in, you know, on the big island or like, you know, like who knows, like, I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, this, your memoir could be homeless in Hawaii. Right. Yeah. It's, I'm always a little loath to even trot that out as something that people should feel bad for, for me. Um, I mean, it has like of all the places to be homeless, it's also not, you know, it's a pretty mild environment. Um, but you get that rock fever. Yeah. And also I think, I think the things like I want to distinguish between, I wasn't homeless because I had, I was so struggling to, like struggling to fit into to society. I mean, there's a, like, there's a homeless problem where it's like you have individuals who have, um, I'm even loath to say, like, they're just not neurotypical. And so they struggle to do, sure. they, they struggle to get on the fucking treadmill and do the shit that everyone else takes for granted. Um, yes, right. And and so that's a problem that is not their fault from my point of view. Like it is a problem. It's like, a, anyway, my yeah. point being is that um, for whatever reason, I, I I don't remember where I was. Oh, perception of time. So look, yes. there I am. <laughs> my point is like I, I really identify with 
how much as I get older, my perception of time really changes, especially like larger intervals, like years and two years and 10 years. And, um, you know, like a day is just so fucking lightning fast sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yes. I have a weird, so I have a weird perceptual shift in time where I get up in the last couple of days, I haven't been pulling my shit together because I've been sleeping really poorly, but usually I get up around 630. Mm Mm-hmm. And sometimes even earlier if like the sun now is rising before then. So it wakes me up. Um, And then I will get up and I will do things and I will think it's much later than it is. Like I'll be convinced that, oh, it's like it's like 10 a.m. and it's only eight or like, oh, it's got to be close to one in the afternoon now. Right. And it's 11. Uh And so in the morning, no matter how slow I'm moving, I always have more time than I need to do everything. And then something happens between 1 and 3 p.m. where all of a sudden it's 4 p.m. Yes. <laughs> and then yeah. it's like 6.30 and I'm like, what? Right. And then I'm like, why am I falling asleep on the floor? Oh, because it's like 9. <laughs> yeah. And the last half of my day goes like super fast. Yep. Yeah. Really I have that weird. same that same kind of experience. I, I've lately I've been thinking, I mean, I really identify with that. Like I have that kind of early in the morning when I'm up mm-hmm. at 6.30, 7 o'clock, that like that few hours then where... I feel like I have all this time. I'm feeling really like calm and like, you know, kind of anticipation of the things I'm going to be working on mm-hmm. and enjoying that. Um, you know, I'm like, oh, I'll, you know, maybe today I'm going to have a cup of coffee and make some toast or something, which is, you know, some days I do that, some days I don't. And like, uh-huh. you know, eat it on my balcony and enjoy the outside or something. And and that 10 minutes or whatever just feels like forever. And then, yeah. and then like you say, like something around 1.30, 1 o'clock, Suddenly, mm-hmm. it's just like down the back half of the day. It's just like so quick. And the next thing yeah. I know, it's like 1130 at night. And I'm just like, oh, fuck. It's so weird. Yeah. It is really strange. Yeah. Um, so here's another interesting uh, sort of temporal perception, percep- a temporal perceptual, uh, perceptual illusion. That's yeah. A mouthful. Um, the cop, the kappa effect. Okay. Uh, or perceptual time dilation. Um and it can arise when observers judge the elapsed, elapsed time between sensory stimuli applied sequentially at different locations. In perceiving a sequence of consecutive stimuli, subjects tend to overestimate the elapsed time between two consecutive stimuli when the distance mm. between the stimuli is sufficiently large and to understand the elapsed time when the distance is sufficiently small. Uh, oh. Yeah, so... Uh, I'm just kind of skimming here now to see if there's a good example or whether we can make one up. Um, man, they this is it's bummer they don't seem to have like some some really strong examples. But hmm. um, have you ever noticed how when you're going to some place it feels longer to get there than when you return? Yeah, and I think that's I think that's kind of I think that's it. So they, okay. there's a there's theories based in velocity expectation. Mm. Physically traversed space and elapsed time are linked by velocity. Um, accordingly, several theories regarding the brain's expectations about stimulus velocity have been put forward to account for the kappa effect. So I think what they're talking about here is the idea that that exactly, like you're driving somewhere and it seems to take a really long time to get there, but when you come back, it's it's a little shorter or... yeah. Um, and that being the idea being that in both those instances, there's a certain kind of time dilation happening or perception of time dilation 
um, or perceptual time dilation, right? So your perceptual time is not um, like wall wall clock time, right? Um, right. And so your perception of it is is affected by your your perception of velocity and external stimuli happening happening over time and distance. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and it has to do with, uh, so they're suggesting that there are expectations about things. Mm-hmm. So like constant velocity expectation where um, the mind or your you kind of have an inbuilt expectation about um, about what it means to be moving at a constant velocity. Um, this is like this, this perceptual perceptive quality or, or ability is probably what lets you run across a baseball field and catch a baseball that's at a different trajectory than you are. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're timing out where that baseball is going to go based on how fast it's going. And then you show up at that place at the same time it does. Right. To catch it. Right. Successfully. If you're successful, Success- <laughs> you yes. show up at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and so there's, uh, and so apparently, according to Wikipedia, well, apparently, well, apparently, um, <laughs> the Kappa effect appears to depend strongly on phenomenal rather than physical extent. So, hmm. um, the Kappa effect gets bigger as stimuli move faster. Observers tend to apply their previous knowledge of motion to a sequence of stimuli when subjects observed. Uh, vertically arranged stimuli the kappa effect was stronger for sequences moving downward Um, this can be attributed to the expectation of downward acceleration and upward deceleration in that the perceived acceleration downward in the perceived downward in the perceived accelerated downward motion causes us to underestimate temporal separation judgments so Mm. um I think this, like, basically the Kappa effect is the idea that in in your example of, like, trying to catch the baseball as you're running yeah. to be in the location where it's going to be, um, this the Kappa effect is is one of the reasons you might get that wrong or you might arrive too soon or you mm-hmm. might, um, you know, or your perception of it might feel different. I've also noticed, um, and I don't see, like, I don't see anybody writing about this specifically, but I haven't digested the entire article. Um, Mm -hmm. But one of the reasons that time perception is interesting to me is that uh, people with ADHD really struggle with time perception. Um, Sure. And, and my, and so for me, like in a high stimulus environment where it's not so much the high stimulus environment, it's, it's when an environment is novel that my that my brain is like engaged with, mm-hmm. then I really don't have a lot of the ADHD symptoms, right? Like my prefrontal cortex is is excited, it's really interested, it's engaged. Um, I don't struggle with time perception in those environments, um, mm-hmm. and so in the instance of like say like any time there's like an adrenaline event, like say running for a baseball. Um, assuming that I haven't done that much before, that's the other problem. Like I played baseball for a little while when I was a kid. And then at some point, probably my brain was like, okay, I'm done with this. And it didn't matter that there was an exciting moment happening. I stopped catching fly balls, right? Because I, my brain's just like, (laughs) nah, I don't care about that anymore. And it doesn't matter how much, like as a person I want to continue to do it. I'm, it's a losing battle for me. Right. So, um, But the ADHD thing is interesting because when I, when the prefrontal cortex is not really firing on all cylinders, then your um, 
then I experience a lot of these illusions a lot, mm -hmm. right? Which is probably mm -hmm. why as a kid sitting in a classroom being forced into the most like painfully boring situations, um, I'm constantly experiencing that time dilation effect or the, what do we call it? The sort of stopped clock illusion. Yes. Um, which is, I also, I wish I, well, maybe I'll have to do a, um, a whole podcast on this. I'll have to find the article again. There was somebody writing about how for kids with ADHD being forced into these like these like very rigorous like mon monotonous situations of like sitting in a desk or whatever they were just they were basically making the argument that um that it actually is painful yeah like it's not it's not a nut like it's not like oh they just need someone to tell them to sit down it's like no right like it's actually painful and in some ways having somebody yell at them is alleviating the pain a little bit Right. Mm. Because you're it not that that's not not that that's fun or that's something that they want, but even a negative negative stimulus that's novel and is like, better than is better than the default of like no stimulation and no like you're starving to death. Right. Like you're basically yeah. sitting there being like my brain just needs stimulation right now and I'm not getting it. Um, and people would be like, oh, well, you just listen to the teacher and follow the lesson. It's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, that's right. it's the problem is, is that like normal or what is it called? That homeostasis that mm -hmm. that you end up like if you're exposed to the same kind of stimulation for a long time, it, it becomes so normalized that your brain no longer views it as novel. And so it no longer. Right. It's that. like it becomes part of the wallpaper in the background. It's not something you have to devote biological energy to paying attention to because it's right. not a threat and it's never going to change. And so ignore it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I totally, I totally get that. I think um, I really appreciate the phrase like neuroatypical or like neuro, I mean, neurodivergent seems a little bit like negative maybe, but right. any, anything other than like, like labeling it a medical problem. Right. Yes. Like yeah. it's not a medical problem. It's yeah. like maybe a cellular architecture problem or like right. not even a problem. It's just like you're different, you're a different machine than the other machines. Right. Right. Yeah. The, there's like, and a bunch of people have this like different machinery and the machine, like, you know, you can't use a, not all machines are interchangeable. Right. right. <laughs> some machines print newspapers, some machines drive down the street, yep. some machines thresh like crops, whatever. Yeah. Like some machines fly, like you can't, and nobody would be like, this airplane's wrong because it doesn't drive. You right. know? <laughs> right. Yes. You're a different biological machine. You mm -hmm. do, you need different, you are optimized for different environments than the ones. And also, like, if it ha helps at all, like our neighbor who's an elementary or a middle school teacher, mm -hmm. um, hates the school system and is like, this is probably the worst thing we can do to children. I, yeah, it really feels like it. Like, I, I mean, for every, every person I've met who, who, really took to school i've probably met like four or five who were just like it was pretty hell it was pretty much hell interestingly like i was good at it but i hated every second of it because i the environment made me like incredibly it made me want to crawl out of my skin at all yeah, times right yep. constantly yeah i was never comfortable it wasn't it it didn't matter that i was like i could walk through class without trying like, I did not have to try to get A's. I just was good at doing the things they wanted to do in the way they wanted me to do them. But the whole time I was, like, on the verge of meltdown. Yeah, yeah. Just, just yeah. panic just below the surface at all times. Oh. 
there was I think though I think what helped is that I was able to pass for somebody who was a good kid yeah and that allowed me a lot of margin for being a bad kid right right like if you look around at your friend group and none of them are the bad kid it's you (laughs) right you're the bad kid. Right. <laughs> it took me a while to realize it was me. <laughs> like, I'm the instigator and the boundary pusher and the rule hater and the authority rejecter and the like gate opener, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I um I, And I'm cool with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean I'm <laughs> cool with like, that. I'm cool with that. Like I'm not saying it just um because I was able to display all of the types of behaviors and do them very successfully that people expected to see from a good kid, they were like, Well, she you know, it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, obviously it's a duck, except I wasn't a duck. <laughs> right, right. I'm like But you I don't can know. put that costume on real real well. Yeah, the duck, whatever. I just put the duck shoes on and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, look at that duck. If only you could be more like that duck. And I'm like, you probably don't actually I find that. that. I find that's kind of a, um, I think that's something like a lesson you kind of, a lot of people learn at some point that there are many people in the world who have like expectations that need to be met in order for you to get past their gate. Mm-hmm. And so people oftentimes, I mean, most people kind of learn like, like you learn in that society, it's like, oh, hey, when I get here, I need to put on my duck feet so that they think I'm a duck mm-hmm. so I can go keep going. Um, right. And there's so many things like that. I mean, I was thinking about our interactions in San Francisco where you had yes. um, at one point you made the comment. You were like, you fucking Southern Cal- or you you Californians like you speak the language. And I'm like, yeah, like this. Mm-hmm. This is still idiotic. But when I show up at the gate, I know how to flash my like I know what what signals to show so I can get through right. the environment and not have to deal with that insanity again. Um, yeah, like I am an adult who is perfectly capable of ordering off a menu, many yeah. types of menus, <laughs> right? and yes. yet somehow they saw me coming and this guy was like, "You're not from around here, right? Yeah, or you're something. not a the duck. equivalent of that. You're Where's not your duck? duck feet? Yeah, where's your duck feet? Yeah, I." I <laughs> <laughs> I am ill-equipped for survival in the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I don't know that I could do it long term either. Um, I had these very weird like exhausting. temporal shifts when um, when I was flying out to the West Coast for weekends, right? Yeah. So I would like work Monday through Friday, and I had well, I had several jobs actually. Because I would work sometimes in a lab grinding lenses at a lens crafters, which was like one of the funnest jobs I ever had. Uh-huh. Um, and that was actually a really fun job. And everything was broken down into 30 second increments. Yeah. Because you, the machinery that you run runs on these intervals. And so you can time them out and become like, you can almost gamify it to see how fast you can get through. Uh-huh. But there's like a fine balance between like, if you go a little too fast, you're going to fuck up what you're making. And so you, that's not good because that's a loss of product and capitalism. Right. But um, you could like challenge yourself. And so when I worked with Brad, who's the lab manager, he would work on the like finishing side and I'd work on the starting side because the finishing thing is like, you, it takes a lot more practice than I had. Yeah. Um, but I was really good at the front half. So 
I um, would work in the front hand, he la- last half, and then we'd listen to like whatever radio stations, like <laughs> whenever <laughs> we would put on strange stations from time to time just to hear something different. Uh-huh. And um, I, it was always great when uh, <laughs> there was this one radio station that was playing Britney Spears' song Toxic. Uh-huh. And <laughs> for whatever reason, we just loved it because it was so absurd. We're like in this lab with like weird goggles on and like all this protective equipment uh-huh. with these like really loud machines. And then we'd have the music on loud. Yeah. And then Britney Spears would be like, wee, 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 wee. <laughs> <laughs> it's like surreal. And that job, I was always there for about four and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And it went so fast. My day job was like eight and a half hours a day, Monday through Friday. And it was just excruciating although i did figure out three years before the end of that job or maybe more than three years like probably more than three years before the end of that job probably about like six years yeah somewhere around halfway through my tenure at that job i realized if i come in at 6 a.m i get to leave at 2 30 <laughs> and no one's here until 10 which means i get to work alone for the first four hours of my day amazing yeah and if i was if i was out of work on t- if i was out of bed and out of the house on time yeah and i was early enough the ideal diner down the street from me wouldn't be open yet and i would go to work and at like 9 30 in the morning i would take a break and i would go get panera and it would be my lunch break even though it was breakfast and if i left the house a little too late i would stop at the ideal diner and get breakfast to go and eat it in the car on the way to work um because they would make these little like sausage like egg mcmuffin kind of things but they're obviously not mixed right right um so uh um, they were not McMuffins, that is. Um, they're like muffins, whatever. That's what I call them. Muffins. muffins. <laughs> <laughs> I call them a Meg muffin. A Meg McMuffin. A Meg muffin. Yeah. Muffin. Yeah. Yeah. Drop the C. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I would get that, and so that would speed my day up incredibly, and especially around here when the sun goes down in the winter time at four thirty at night, yeah, and it's like pitch dark out. Being able to get those two hours of sunshine between 2.30 and 4.30 makes you feel like you're not losing. It makes the winter feel a lot shorter because when I was getting up during daylight hours, you would wake up and the sun would already be up and then you would go to work. And by the time you left work, the sun was long gone. And it was like, you feel like you're missing whole days. Right, right. So this way I would get up in the pitch dark. I would watch the sunrise from my window at work. I would go get breakfast. I would come back. Everybody else would be midway through their like horrible slog. Right. Not even. And I'd be like, all right, see suckers later. And I'd like bail out before. And then they'd be working for like three or four or five more hours. And I wouldn't be there to bother. It was so great. So I spent like the experience of working with other people was limited to three and a half hours a day. (laughs) That's yeah. That's kind of an ideal situation. So much better. I, um, so that trick worked, but like, um, it's kind of it makes it's nuts to me like that I worked at that day job for nine hours and or for nine years and then somewhere in there for a period of about like five four like two or three years two or three years I would get done with work at 2 30 on a Friday I would race home my buddy Dan would drive me downtown which I had just come through to get home. Yeah. And he would drive me back down downtown in his car and drop me off the light rail with my backpack because from downtown Minneapolis to the airport on the light rail is exactly like 22 minutes, even if there's rush hour and everything because everybody has to stop for the train. Yeah. So I would 
make it out to the airport. I would get on a plane Friday night. I would fly to San Francisco. I would do meetings on the weekend. And then Sunday I would fly home and then I'd go back to work on Monday morning. Nightmare. And it was such a fucking trip because I was leading this like alternate life in the Bay Area Uh one weekend at a time. Right. And I was cramming so much shit into those visits. Yeah. That like those two days or three, two and a half days in San Francisco felt much longer than the week I would spend at work. And I, I came back from one of the things, Uh one of the big things. Yeah. And after being gone for three and a half weeks, there was a coffee cup that nobody had washed that was still sitting in the sink in the same place. And I was like, nothing ever changes in this fucking place. Right. (laughs) Like I've been through the fucking wardrobe. Uh huh. Yeah. And like did some amazing shit and came back and you guys couldn't even be bothered in all of this time. Like everything here is so static and unchanging and boring and stultifying uh-huh. and unprogressive yep. that like literally nothing changes but the amount of mold that's grown in it. Right. In the time that I've been gone. Yeah. Like, the biology continues to march forward while you guys hold on to this like stasis of time. Right. That's when I was like, I gotta quit this job. Right. <laughs> I gotta get out of here before I look up and I'm like 60 and they're like, I, I never thought you'd be one of those people who worked here forever. <laughs> right. One of my coworkers asked me one time too, like, yeah. how how long have you been working here? And I was like, oh my God, like six fucking years or something. Yeah. And um, they were like, I think because I had been around for so long when they started working, they thought that it was just my plan. Like I had scored some great job and my plan was to camp out with this company for the rest of like till retirement. Uh huh. And they mentioned something, but I was like, oh, I figured you would always stay at this company. And I was like, I like belly laughed. You've got to be joking. Right. Such a dead end. Yeah. <laughs> I have a cubicle <laughs> next to a copy machine. Right. <laughs> this is not aspirational for me. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> I should hope that I'd want something better for my life than <sighs> like uh, the <laughs> one of the reasons I chose the cube. Well, two reasons. Yeah. One is that it was by those copiers and we did all of our own house printing because our our boss was an egomaniac and uh that was very loud and gave me cover for having private conversations and also lots of gossip and plausible deniability because there's no way that i could be assumed to have overheard anything happening anywhere in the building but everybody told me anyway um (laughs) and the second reason was because i had one of like two windows in the whole upper floor of the building that actually opened and had a screen that you could let fresh air through. Uh-huh. So in the summertime, I would open my window uh-huh. and it'd be like nice and like toasty and humid in my little cubicle. Uh-huh. And everybody And I had the guys who changed the lights. Like I had them take the fluorescent lights out and I put little work lamps all over my cubicle. Oh, nice. So I had like colored lights in there and it was like very nice and atmospheric. And it was very obvious when I stripped my cubicle and never came back right one of my co-workers was like why is your why is your cubicle blank and i was like because i'm never coming back to that shithole again right surprise (laughs) i left last night i didn't tell anyone (laughs) (laughs) but like yeah it's weird that those different types of jobs that i did and like the the amount of time that i spent at them doesn't in my mind correlate to my experience of how long i was at them like right that lens crafter's job was a joy and it just felt way too short even Mm -hmm. though i was there for like three years or something yeah yeah it's um 
Well, here's maybe this will fit in a little bit. Um, here's some more little factoids or interesting tidbits. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's some psychological associations with uh, perception of time. Um, so research has suggested the feeling of awe has the ability to expand one's perception of time availability. Mm. Um, and awe, so awe could be characterized as an experience of immense perceptual vastness that can, coincides with an increase in focus. Um, cool. Yeah. So the idea is that um, in those moments, time can feel slower because you're more aware. Like, I imagine I could think of it like you're taking in so much more data that your your mind is kind of equating that like your hyper awareness of this yeah. as like a slower time period. Um, if you can cram a lot of shit into a few days, it will feel longer than a few days. Absolutely. Because yeah. because like how often we go through life, right? And a lot of like, depending on what your life is like, a lot of it's probably kind of downtime like it's not there's not crazy shit happening you're not on high alert like maybe if right. you work in an er it's different right but like uh the fact is that the the distance between major events that are noteworthy in your perception are pretty few like they're pretty far mm-hmm. apart usually yeah. that's uh, like why we're all able to exist and not have constant trauma and like right, uh, right. you know overexposure stress but like if you cram a bunch of major things, one back to back to back to back into a week or something, it's going to feel like you've accomplished the same amount of shit as you would normally do in a year. Mm-hmm. Right. Or or more or whatever, right? Like if you have a particularly busy amount of time with, especially if it's particularly novel experiences. Yes. Yeah. And I was just thinking about um, when we were sort of brainstorming this topic uh, that's actually that kind of idea around how how like what we mean when we say like come step into our wardrobe. It's like if right. oftentimes I think when you and I get together, we end up um, it feels like a lot longer or we feel because we do so much like when we're together, we're like really feeding mm-hmm. off of each other. And we have this like um, this accelerated pace of, yeah, you know, what are we going to do now? Like you know, all right, great, more creating, more creating, more art, more, you know, like, why why would we sit around when there's so much fun things to be enjoying and participating in, you know? It's mostly um, like creating things and eating. Yeah, creating things and eating. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and sleeping, that's it. Like, yeah, if yeah. we're awake, we're either eating or making something. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... um yeah, I anyway, so yeah, the idea of time compression or that like time dilation as a as an experience is very real. Um mm-hmm. and it I I imagine we might want to revisit and see there's that book how to uh I think it's called like how to refactor your wetware that yes! we we've, we've read some stuff. I I bet there's some good stuff in there we might want to look at too. Um Oh, yeah. Let me see this. if I have it. Yeah, yeah cuz that one is uh I bet there's some good ways to like leverage uh this your perception of time because you can imagine an ideal situation is to be able to feel in a in moments that you're really enjoying to be able to like feel that time like stretched out and and yeah. sort of maximize that even though it may still wall clock time might still be the same um but your experience of it like being able to kind of maximize it um, right. Which I think is one of the ideas around sort of great, like practicing mindfulness and grateful, like being grateful for things is to kind of 
like wake up your mind to the idea that you're in a moment that you want to you want to experience and you want to be like cherishing or um you know kind of not really holding on to but basically like maximizing your ability to take on that moment and remember it um yeah i found that when we were in the southwest in arizona yes time went really weirdly fast even though there was almost no perceptible difference between the days like this Mm -hmm. this you know the sun rising and setting of the sun changed a little bit every day with the seasons but like it's so fucking hot and sunny all the time Mm -hmm. that it just feels like either the lights are on or the lights are off but there really isn't a differentiation between the days right right the passage of time doesn't seem to occur like up here Damon noticed that um, he's never lived in Minnesota before and he's never gone through like a series of the seasons here. Oh. And he was like amazed at how how easy it is to perceive the passing of time because every day when you look outside here, something's different. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And that's not really how it is in Texas. Or, no. Or, or where I'm from. It. Yeah, yeah. Like San Diego. Yours, you, same, same thing. Same thing. Yep constant like it's which is delightful but i also see how it can be like a trap yeah yeah it can be a trap it also um you know it makes it very difficult for me to have uh like when people ask me about periods in my life it's very hard for me to get the order of operations correct if they're not Mm -hmm. strongly linked because for me it's like i don't know if that was summer or winter there's no, right. you know, my my strong memory is me being outside and it was sunny doing doing whatever it was. And so was mm-hmm. that summer or winter? I don't know. It makes it really hard to like fix it in a calendar way. Yeah. Um, whereas other other environments, like when I lived in Oregon, it's well, Oregon has a little bit of that as well because it rains so much and it's overcast so much that there's so many days that are the same. Um, sure. And you're sort of you're sort of spring into early summer and your sort of late summer into fall periods are so similar in many ways. Um, I mean, they're different, but like, you know, the leaves are growing or they're falling. And so there's, there's that, but, um, but it still has that, like there's so many days that are overcast and even in the winter, like when I lived in Corvallis, it didn't snow a lot. So um, Mm. my, my perception of time there was also kind of like jilted by that or like sort of skewed by that. Um, and it's more, I, I think there's also that distinction between later when you're recalling memories versus when you're in the middle of experiencing it, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, man, much of the feeling is gone from the memory where it's more just kind of like a, you know, that, that memory no longer has that like strong, like a lot of the sensory data is no longer present in that memory the way it was when I, yeah. you know, was experiencing it. So then I lose even more context about how to like put it into my, into my timeline. Where it fits in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, perception of time. It's an interesting one. Uh, mm-hmm. there's also something called, uh, well, there's a couple of things I wanted to look at. So there's also the, um, there's something called the oddball, oddball effect. The oddball effect. What's that? So the oddball effect. Uh, humans typically overestimate the perception or perceived duration of the initial and final event in a stream of identical events. Um, oh. And there's some suggestion that 
it was to do, or it, it's related to an ev evolutionary adaptation or sort of alerting function. Um, and so with the idea, it, it's consistent with the idea of um, threatening situations obvious, uh, oftentimes being reported as, a, as where time slows down. Um, hmm. So uh, there's studies that uh, looked at the effects of images that were expanding or reducing in the in size in in the viewer. Um, like uh -huh. so if you're looking at a screen or you're looking at an image that's getting bigger or getting smaller, um, and so time. Basically, the the studies that did that looked at. Um, Images that were looming, as in like growing in size, oftentimes um, created this illusion of time dilate or time slowing down. Um, hmm. uh, yeah, so uh, and so it's kind of a subject a subjective time dilation experience. Um, there's also, I mean, there's a whole uh, there's a whole section in Wikipedia the effects of drugs on time perception. Oh, is there really? <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, it's not a very large section, but it's got, uh, it's got enough in there. Um, so uh, stimulants uh, like amphetamines and caffeine um, often lead to overestimation of time intervals by both humans and rats, apparently. Um, oh. And depressants and anesthetics such as barbiturates, nitrous oxide, can have the opposite effect and lead to underestimation of time intervals. Um, huh. So there's some research that suggests that the activity of, um, or the level of activity in the brain of neurotransmitters such as dopamine and nore norepinephrine may be the reason for this. Um, hmm. And so like increases of those, like basically, which, which might suggest that um, in a cognitive way, the way that we cognitively experience or perceive our perception of time um, may be partly related to our percept, like our experience of our brain activity, right? Ah. So like if it's really dialed up and you're really stimulated, um, you know, or your brain's really firing on all cylinders and really just mm -hmm. like cooking right now um, mm -hmm. in the case of taking, you know, stimulants like caffeine um, or more illicit ones, uh, then you're, I guess the idea is that um, over, so you overestimate time intervals, which I'm assuming means that you're saying that the time interval was longer than it actually was. Yeah, your perception of it is that it took a while, but it was really actually super quick. For example, I've been in, I think, seven car accidents. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Not any recently. They were all like piled into like my 20s basically mm -hmm. i think and it i actually didn't cause any of them i was like t-boned and somebody um i was in a head-on collision and then actually i was t-boned twice um and rear-ended and all these things and anyway um the, uh, the a couple of times both in the time when i had the head-on collision and also when i was t-boned one of the times i remember seeing it so it was, I was having what it says here is tachypsychia, which is a neurological condition that alters the perception of time, usually induced by physical exertion, drug use, or a traumatic event. Right. Someone affected by uh, tachypsychia perceives 
time as lengthening and making events appear to slow down, which is mm -hmm. what happened to me in the car accident. Right. Or it contracts with objects appearing to be moving in a speeding blur. And so I have not experienced the blur, but I have experienced the dilation of time. And in both cases, I remember thinking the words, oh shit, and airbag. Yeah, yeah. And I had enough time... Like, in my mind, I remember it being like, oh, shit. Uh-huh. And then, like, bracing for the airbag. Yeah. But I'm sure it happened, like, almost instantaneously. Right, <laughs> right. Um, and I definitely have, like, I've experienced the tunnel vision thing, too. Mm -hmm. It's really weird. But I think, like, because I've had a lot of exposure to situations like this, I think this is also why in... um some really tense situations or panic situations for other people, I just get calmer and time slows down and I can think better. Mm -hmm. Right, right. C compared to the people around me. Like I see what's happening to the people around me and I'm like, why are you freaking out? Like, calm down. Here's yeah. the situation. Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> right, right. But I, I wonder if that's actually like a weird skill that I've developed over time because I've become so comfortable with that experience of time dilation. Mm -hmm. Um. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, when you and I have worked together and now that we work together a lot, and yeah. I mean, we don't, I would say all of our chosen projects together do not involve a lot of like high stress. Um, right. But when we have worked in high stress environments together, uh, I think we both react very similarly in that regard. Like we both seem to be like, okay, time, like, like time really does slow down because we're both just like firing on all cylinders and we're like, okay, mm -hmm. well, let's just game it out. And, you know, we've got time to like make these moves and let's make the right moves and yeah. do the thing. Um, which I really appreciate that all of the projects we've elected to do, like where we've been fully in control of, we're not like, and then let's add like drama to the whole thing and make sure we have <laughs> right. somebody who's like, you know, about to lose their mind or like people are going to die. Like none of these projects seem to involve any of that. Whereas some of the other things we've worked on, like a lot of that, a lot of that. I mean, some of it was like, okay, that's, you know, this is real shit and it's important and it matters. And that was like one of the reasons I think that attracted it to us. But then mm -hmm. you throw in a lot of these other actors where you're like, man, you guys are bringing a lot of extra perceived, like perceived insanity. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. Just the levels of like, shit that was like oh my god people are gonna die and all these bad things and like why aren't people having fun the way i told them to and um just the layers and levels of insanity around that just felt really mm -hmm. it's in contrast it just cracks me up yes um yeah we're so, so much better at this <laughs> yes when we don't have those people involved right right it's like my life is so much easier without all of that mm -hmm. um yeah. So, oh man. Oh, here's one. So effects of body temperature. So there is, uh, ah. there's some hypothesis. There's a, there's a chemical clock hypothesis that implies a ca causal link between body temperature and perception of time. Ah. Um, and there's been some work that, that, uh, shows that increasing body temperature tends to make individuals experience a dilated perception of time and they perceive durations longer than they actually did. Um, ultimately leading them to underestimate time du durations hmm. um 
and decreasing body temperature has the opposite effect, causing participants to experience a condensed perception of time, leading them to overestimate time durations. Wow. Um, yeah. That is a trip. Although the cooler, the <clears throat> cooling or the sort of the lower body temperature, decreasing body temperature was observed, uh, was a more rare observation. So the lower the body temperature, the... Sh yeah, so like the, the idea more is... More likely you are to overestimate how much it was? So the lower, the lower your body temperature, the more likely you are to perceive time as condensed, like to pass more quickly. Um, which means that you overestimate, like if I, if you're colder or like if your body temperature is lowered, um, and then I'm like, okay, how long was this last half hour? But me not telling you it was a half hour, you might say, um, oh, that was only, uh, you might say, oh, that, ha that last half hour was, you know, an hour or something. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Wait. When decreasing, causing participants to experience a condensed perception of time, leading them to overestimate time duration. So a condensed. So if you asked me, how long did that half hour yeah. feel? And I'd say it felt like an hour. Yes. Right. Yeah. Because your 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 clock is sort of sped mm. up, I guess. Or mm -hmm. yeah. So more more of your internal ticks happened in that half hour. So you perceive. Yeah. And so when you're right. when you're warm, your clock sort of your ticks. Your internal second hand basically moves moves slower. Gotcha. Yeah. This is probably why shit happens so slowly in the southern United States. Right. Yeah. And that could be a huge part of it, to be honest with you. It's like a yeah. mass temporal delusion. Right, right. And I, I mean, I definitely, there's something about like northern climates where there's a sort of frenetic energy to things uh, a little yeah. bit. There's a lot of er nervous, like urgent energy up here like mm -hmm. i'm already like fuck it's what a day is it may 5th 4th that means i have one two three four five five months before i have to start worrying about getting everything done before it snows right <laughs> like i'm already thinking about like yeah where am i gonna stack all this shit when the snow comes right and we're, <laughs> we're trying to like remodel the garage right. and so it's like oh man it's and it's like well the snow's not gonna come for a long time but we need to be wrapped up and putting things away by the snow so that it's not you never have as much time as you think up here <laughs> right, right yeah well that's super interesting oh why is this all fuzzy sounding i don't know uh-oh i know can you hear that yes yeah yeah there, it's there really it annoying goes. sorry everybody sorry <laughs> Sorry, I have. So I see here effects of clinical disorders, including attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Yep. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it causes all kinds of weird problems. Um, hmm. Yeah, like I, like I definitely suffer from this. So individual, so one of those sentences are one of the problems with ADHD or in relation to time perception. Individuals with ADHD have difficulties in discrimination activities and time estimation. Absolutely, I suck at time estimation. Mm. Um, which, that's one of my, like in the industry that I work in or like my sort of chosen perception or my the trade that I, I practice. Um, yeah. Software development is a hard place to estimate task completion, but ah, it's yes. like the one thing that 
that outsiders or basically is always when you're running when you're doing software development in a capitalistic society they always want to estimate they want to have a good they want to have good estimates they want to know how long it's going to take to build something how long it's going to take to accomplish a task um, and it doesn't matter like software development the problem the problem setting aside whether you're good at estimating or not the problem in in estimating how long it takes to accomplish a certain kind of soft or a certain designated software development task um, is the thing is if it already has been done then it takes no time because that problem's already solved so solved. we don't need to do it again but if right. you need to do it again then typically you're not reinventing like you're you're basically inventing a new wheel or you're not mm -hmm. really doing software development right like you shouldn't be you shouldn't be redeveloping things like implementing things right. is one thing but it's like basically if you want to go from um you know it, anytime somebody asks you how long is it going to take to do this development if you're doing if you've agreed to do the development then it should be the real question is like how long does it take to develop the wheel well we don't know what the wheel is right like we don't know what the end result is like yeah. we know we know what the i always kind of liken it to like traveling through a jungle with no roads you're kind of like okay i'm here and i want to geographically go over there and but i and i know yeah, like as the crow flies, I know it's six miles. And so if I can fly over there, great. But we want to lay a road now. And in order right. to lay the road, no one surveyed the land. So we don't know what kind of problems we're going to like run into between here and there. And so it's already a yep. difficult thing to estimate. Um, and then I throw on top of it the problem with ADHD where it makes it like my brain is like biologically wired to make it very difficult or it's not I don't have those kind of tools in my mind yeah. right and yeah. so I have to um and I'm asked for estimates all the time I was asked for an estimate this morning at work and I was like okay well let me so I have like I have some rules of thumb I go by I have some things that I try to lean on so that I'm not um I'm not giving the answer that my brain immediately wants to say instead I'm going and looking at the evidence and being like okay I need to go from here to here to here and yeah. I've already, you know, I've already given, you know, I've already like look back at things and try to be very like analytical about it. And it, it works fine. Um, I seem to give pretty good yeah. estimates, but um, it's definitely something that works against me in this particular uh, part of my trade. It's like something that I, I personally struggle with. But for what it's worth, uh, almost everybody that I've ever worked with is miserable at estimating how long it's going to take them to do shit. Right. Yeah. Um, so even people who, are neurotypical are I don't think can claim to be any better at it than you. Yeah, and yeah. you have an excuse, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, I think that's um, I think that's kind of the nature of being human. That I oftentimes, oftentimes, like I think when I talk to friends, especially about my ADHD, I try to be like, I'm not complaining. Like I just want I want someone to understand what my process is, not because I think mm -hmm. that. Um, that you or someone I'm explaining to gets gets off easy and you don't understand how difficult it is for me. Like right. I sometimes I'm like, no, I just want you to understand where where I I want like either I can't make a change or I want to like work with this situation where um you know like you know, I'm like, look, it's like this. Like, I don't have a hand. Everybody thinks I have a right hand, but I don't have one. Mm -hmm. And so when everybody says, hey, just pick up the glass, I'm like, well my left hand's full. Right. And they're like, well, just use your right hand. I'm like, see, I don't have a right hand. And they're like, oh, I don't believe you. <laughs> you know, it's like every and mm. and that's not I, most of my friends. I don't struggle with that. Right? I mean, that's not usually the problem. But um, yeah. I just kind of like I think about um, 
like when we're kind of talking about uh you know the state of mind and it's like yeah everybody is different and that's and and i i also really struggle like psychology i have a lot of loathing for um right and I was so, just talking with someone about this this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Not you hating psychology, but me yeah. also having lots yeah, of no, problems we, with it. Exactly. And so um, just the fact that I've like taken on the idea that it's like, okay, I'm going to accept that I have this clinical disorder um, mm -hmm. is I try to I try to really temper it with the idea that it's like, okay, well there's I want to look at the science and not I try really hard not to take on the idea that it's like oh I'm broken or I don't have this thing it's like no this is just right. the way my mind works and how do I fit that into the rest of the world and try to take on the things where I'm like yep that absolutely is true and ADHD is a great one because there's a lot of studies done and so I don't mm -hmm. I try not to read a lot of literature literature by like opinionated doctors who think they've solved everything. I try to read yes. literature. It's like, oh, we did this study and re respondents said this thing or we observed this and look at the observations and be like, oh yeah, okay, well, yeah, turns out I also struggle with time estimation in a very particular way or, mm -hmm. um, you know, I struggle with, like I, the thing I most identify with is just that like that screaming voice in my mind where it's like just feed me stimulation. And yeah. that just like as the day goes on, like that just gets louder and louder until I get to the end of a day where I'm just like, okay, I need to just eat a lot of sugar or I need to do something that's going to like shut that thing up for just like a moment. Um, when I was in like the during the last like six weeks, I want to say. Go, let's go for further back over the last eight more weeks, backer, we, more backer, backatize yeah. it. Uh -huh. We watched the entire Jury selection and Chauvin trial oh, from start to finish. I bet there was a lot of time perception issues with that. That was f fucking trippy, even for me. And uh, I was doing, I was in the final month of my semester at school. Yeah. And so that was also really weird because I was spending huge swaths of time working on really specific things. And then in the background was this crazy trial. And <clears throat> I was working on the basement for part of it and painting before I got started on all of my like final school work. Yeah. And it was really fucking weird. And there were like, <clears throat> while the trial was on, we were glued to it. And then as soon as it ended every day at like 4.45 PM, I was like, what the fuck am I going to do until 9 AM and it starts again? Right. And so I was like, oh my God, I ate so much candy. Yeah. So much candy candy and i the only reason i noticed this was because i noticed some of my discomfort with having to sit and wait felt to me uncomfortable in ways that you've described most of the time feeling to you <laughs> right and i was like oh my god this is yeah. what it feels like to be ned for a little while and i was yeah. just like where's i need more candy where's that chocolate now i'm gonna have some chocolate milk now i'm gonna have some chocolate yogurt milk now i'm gonna have some ice cream now i'm gonna have some more candy <laughs> like and I just, oh my God, so much fucking sugar. Yeah, because um, it just, it immediately res ugh. like resolves a lot of that like. You're really, like, oh, I feel better. Yeah. And then like 10 minutes later, you're like, ah. Yeah. 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 So I just, uh, the, it was weird because the trial was not the uncomfortable part to sit through. It was plenty uncomfortable. Sure. But it wasn't yeah. like you were hanging on every word. And so it didn't feel like. Um, it wasn't boring. And so it didn't feel like it was dragging by. Uh, the time in between when it was televised is when it felt like it was dragging because it was like, but there's so much else here to hear about. Like, I, why do we have to wait until tomorrow? <laughs> right, right. 
like oh it was nuts and um i was just so glad like during that man after the trial ended so the trial ended on monday and then on tuesday they had announced the verdict at like 3 30 or 3 45 p.m less than 24 hours later which was fucking crazy because none of us really expected that and that i was hoping to get all of my finals and my final projects done before they announced the verdict in the event that it was not good and like some shit hit the fan right because i was going to be paying attention to that not writing a paper for school and so um it worked out but i ended up doing like all of my work for the presentation that I had to give on Wednesday on that Tuesday and then that Wednesday and then I gave the presentation and then the rest of the week I spent like writing the paper and then I turned it in on Saturday, but it wasn't good. Right, right. Like my attention was so divided and I was like, I get that this is important and I'm there voluntarily and I want to do the work, right? Like, but even still, I was like, this is not going to be my best work because I'm all of my mental energy is going to this other thing. Right, right. Yeah. And it was very weird. I was like extremely relieved when it was over Mm -hmm. for like a myriad of reasons, but it felt like we could fucking breathe again for the first time in a year. Yeah, no kidding. That was an intense moment. Um, Yeah. It's going to be real weird this summer too because the other three are getting tried in August. Right, right. Yeah. It's just going to be strange. I think the end, end of August. I don't know. But it's interesting to me, like, how that's going to play out because they're all being charged as, like, you know, accomplices or accessory or two or whatever. Yeah. But, like, uh, they would have had a much harder time making that case if Derek Joven had not been found guilty of a crime. If you're not found guilty of a crime, then nobody helped you commit one. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's the. And yeah. So this will be interesting. I was. I, I don't know what to think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be I really weird. I don't know either. Yeah, I think um, I that whole that whole situation. Um, I I mean, I was really happy to see that uh, that it it felt like the, it felt like this moment where the justice system was like upholding its sort of obligation to, um, you know, like process material in that way and like be sort of objective and and um but man i don't know like i i still don't it didn't like give me a lot of confidence in the court system no here's the fucked up thing right this is a double-edged sword right this is actually not great because this will embolden people who want to maintain the status quo to say look it works we don't have to change anything yep yeah. And secondarily, this wasn't actually the status quo working. This was an extraordinary series of events yeah. where the governor of the state insisted that the case be taken away from the attorney who would normally try it because there is so little public faith in that man because he's made so many fucking bad decisions and refused to prosecute anybody, uh, refused to prosecute officers. And right. so it had to be taken away from him and given to Keith Ellison, who is an exceptional attorney and the attorney general for the state of Minnesota and has represented us in Congress very well and is a really great person, as far as I understand, mm-hmm. and like a consummate professional. But this is not in his fucking wheelhouse. This type of thing is not his fucking job. And he wasn't particularly happy about being saddled with it. Right. And so his team consisted of like 16 different people. Yeah. Two of whom you saw during the trial, if you watched, um, Steve Schlisser and um, uh, Jerry Blackwell. Yeah. 
And the two of them are extremely um, well-respected prosecutors from Washington, D.C., who came in to work on this pro bono. Wow. And also, the fucking city had to burn down. Because until that happened, and until the third precinct was, like, completely torched, yeah. the the there was not going to be murder charges. Right. That's right. Yeah. Originally, they were just like, eh, we're going to just kind of, like, what was it? I think it was second second degree... It wasn't even murder at all. It was no, it wasn't murder at all. Yeah, it wasn't murder at all. So it required a year's worth of uprisings. Yeah, two star attorneys from another district doing it for free, and the attorney general being set on the case by the fucking governor, and like months of protest, and then a bunch of like. This was not justice being carried out, and this was not the status quo. This was extraordinarily heroic efforts in an unusual case. And they had like 16 different cameras that all recorded from different angles what happened. And the only one that the state didn't have control over was the one that mattered. Every other one the state could have had their access to. They had surveillance cameras from businesses. They had a bunch of fucking body cams. They had vehicle cameras. They had like all kinds of shit. But Darnell Frazier's video of him being held on the ground was the only one that mattered. And it was the only one that wasn't already in possession of the people who could have made the, deci- the these decisions to handle it this way without us having to fucking burn this fucking city down. Oh, God. The worst. So this isn't actually something that can be repeated. Right. Right. This isn't this is not like the solution to this problem. And the right. fucking the the system didn't work. It yeah. had to be completely upended and turned over yep. and we had to have a a political uprising for this to actually take the course that it arguably should have taken and literally anyone who's seen that fucking tape says it should have taken. Right. So like I find it really frustrating. There's a lot of lot of frustration yeah. and like you know whatever happens with the other three i i don't think people here are willing to like let this rest like yeah. i don't think anybody's particularly happy about how this turned out right right no i mean i i think that's one of the frustrating things about the whole situation is that like yeah. you said it's just that like you can't then point at this and be like oh see like everything works fine right Exactly. It doesn't work fine. <laughs> like it all took... of the normal steps had to be circumvented for this to go <laughs> in a certain direction. Right. Uh, well. Yeah, it's it's really frustrating. Yeah. Um I don't know. And then of course they're going to like they're appealing it and they're going to try and get all sorts of things overturned on appeal because Right, right. You know, like Maxine Waters showed up that one night at the protest and said we shouldn't be satisfied with anything but a guilty verdict and um so they want to like claim that you know one fucking congressperson making a comment is enough to like overturn the overturn validity it. of the no, yeah. it's ridiculous right so i mean i think I, I i would i don't think that there's like a super big worry about it being overturned on appeal i mean i just can't see how they would make that case but yeah. um the other three are going to be real interesting mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Also, like, I have to say, um, when police, like, approach people and they have body cams on and they're, like, using, they're, like, you know, they've unholstered their weapons, yeah. the, the 
form and technical capability that I've observed in these videos is sorely lacking. Yeah. Like, you guys don't know how to fucking hold a gun. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's really pathetic. Yeah, it's disturbing. You guys look pathetic. I just want to say that. <laughs> Y'all look pathetic. Figure it out. Anyway, um, yeah. So that was like a really weird perceptual shift in my like timeline. I, In fact, I don't know if I mentioned this when we were talking on one of the podcasts with Dana or not, but when I was painting my basement, the whole reason that I was painting it, and you know about this happening to me, is yeah. that whenever something like noteworthy doesn't even necessarily need to be traumatic, anything that my brain is like, hey, that's interesting, yeah. whatever's going on around the thing that sparks my like neuroplasticity... Uh, that just gets sucked in along with the thing. And so inanimate objects or songs on the radio or the house that you live in where you're watching the trial uh -huh. becomes like soup, like overloaded with meaning. Mm -hmm. And like it, I will have I, the only thing I can think of to call them like is flashbacks because I'll look at one thing and it will flash in my mind a series of images of other things that it makes me think of. Right. And it, they're inextricable. Like I can't, it's well, almost like, it almost feels like, um, like a, like crossover sensory perception. Like what's that called? Why am I blanking on this word? It's like. <sighs> Associative. No, it's the thing that I have. The thing where your senses get crossed. Oh, um, uh, why oh, can't I think of the fucking word for something what I think, esthemia what I or some kind of like um No, no, no. It's where you have like when you taste the letter oh. R and it tastes like mashed potatoes or when you like when you touch things and it makes you think of other things. Like it's when your senses get mixed up. What the fuck is the name for this? Why can't I think of this? I'm gonna think of it. Uh synesthesia. Yes! God damn it! Synesthesia. So I have synesthesia with like yes. just shit gets completely cross wired in my brain and I, I can't stop it from happening. And so I was like, well, I don't want to park in my living room and watch this in front of the television because my living room is going to become an echo chamber for things during the trial. Right, right. Um, And so I was in the basement and I started doing um some lead paint cleanup yes i was being safe everybody i told this to somebody and they're like oh my god that's so dangerous and i was like it's actually not i was fine uh -huh. but um like what i was doing wasn't dangerous so i but there's lead paint in the basement that we have to deal with and it's a very time consuming process and so when the trial started and we were doing jury selection i was in the basement working on it and i was stripping off some of the old stuff and i was putting down this like super fancy liquid gold more expensive than selling your first kid like crazy primer on the wall mm -hmm. to deal with all this lead paint and then i was painting over it in this really beautiful stark white that reflects a lot of light so the basement got much lighter and so my goal in doing this was very deliberate it was to create a transformative process so that no matter where i was while this trial was going on the place that existed at the point in time where something from the trial caught my attention and seared into my memory would mm -hmm. not be the place that I ended up with after the trial. Right, 
Right. <clears throat> so I was essentially like paint rolling out my memories so that while the trial was going on, you the weren't. thing that those trial memories could have been glued to wasn't there by the time the trial was over to be glued to. And so now my basement doesn't remind me of anything that was happening during the trial because the basement is so different than it looked while the trial was happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It worked. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yes. Yeah. It worked. <clears throat> I think um, I think people forget how how associative like how our sort of associative memory works like it's mm -hmm. you you know the way you recall things right is like you connect these handles to them and so as like your memories are forming like you're you know you think of, we've talked about this before a little bit yeah. especially when we were doing the um the like how to refactor your wetware chapters some of those yes. were good um yeah yeah and like i think making associations deliberate is awesome and i think you taking like a proactive effect on something you're like anticipating that this could be very traumatic and then you're kind of going through it and you're like yeah it is it is very traumatic even if the outcome wasn't as traumatic i mean that's the other thing right like i don't know the outcome is what people wanted well the outcome if you look at the evidence you're like how could this be anything else it's the best possible scenario but, but that doesn't make it great yeah, like I, I mean, I don't know. Like in in some some ways, it's like, but do we need a catalyst to really push change, or is this really just, again, like, um, you know, placating, placating mm -hmm. the system so that the system can continue in the 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 bad direction or the direction that's not actually right. serving people the way we would like it to be. Um, right. Yeah, I don't know. It's a it's complicated. Um, but yeah, I mean, I suspect as the system continues to or it remains broken, there will continue to be things that trigger more well, people right. wanting it to change. Um, the police in this case have taken absolutely no responsibility for this. Right, right. And the city paid out $27 million to George Floyd's family. So there was in some ways, and this was an issue that came up during the trial, yeah. When the city pays out this money before the trial is done, the city's acknowledging that there was a harm done that they're compensating for. Right. Which everybody was like, well, not everybody, but a few concerned people were like, well, how is this going to like taint the jury? Yeah. Because now the jury's going to be like, well, they just paid out money, so something fucking happened, right? But right. I think it was so far beyond that. Like, it's kind of contemptuous of the jury. Like, they're smarter than that. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, a payout is not going to like be a fucking revelation. Right. Um, civil suits happen all the time. So like there, it, it's really weird too, because the police chief is not great. Yeah. Um, and he successfully sued the Minneapolis police department some years ago for discrimination and for like their practices. And then he became the police chief and now he's trying to be like, well, these people don't, you know, represent and uh, there's no room for this type of behavior in our police force. And I'm like, you're such a fucking liar. Right. Like you sued them for the same reasons. Uh-huh. You dick. Anyway, he's a total dick. Um, but yeah, it's the whole thing is basically like throwing this dude under the bus yeah. But everybody who supports him is like, this guy got railroaded and they made an example out of him and he didn't do anything that other officers are supposed to do and he was trained to do exactly what he did and all of that's fucking true and that's the problem. Right. 
So I don't know. Like it's gonna get it's gonna stay weird around here. Like when we had the in the couple of three weeks leading up to the trials and to the conclusion of the trial, my neighborhood was a fucking war zone. There were armed military everywhere, all up and down my street, all up and down Central Avenue, around every corner, just standing there with guns all over the place. They were riding around every ambulance that went out, had national armed National Guard with rifles in the ambulance, which was totally fucking ridiculous and unnecessary. Yeah. There was one guy who our neighbors talked to who actually wasn't, he turned out not to be that cool, but <clears throat> he was standing on Central Avenue with a sign that said, this is a gigantic waste. And the S in the waste had a dollar sign. And he was standing in front of where a bunch of the National Guard were stationed. That's hilarious. Yeah, in this like I mean, weird it, empty lot where a building had burned down. Oh, God. What Which is they, where they were yeah. after we chased them out of the co-op. Right. right. Get out of our fucking grocery store. Dicks. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, like we could pay $35 million for the military to come and preemptively occupy our city to quell any unrest with violence. Mm -hmm. But we couldn't take $35 million and like house and feed people or give them an education, which are all of the things, the absence of which leads to violence. Right. Right. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, it's, they're fucking hostile here. Like the police are extremely hostile to any form of protest here now, and that shit's gonna come to a head over and over and over again. Yep. Yeah, it's fine. Well, uh, I mean, damn. This I, is just living here. My time perception is just going to be, <clears throat> and it has been for some time. Yeah. The distance between police murders. They're on an average of like killing an armored black man around here once every six months. It's really fucking horrible. That's nuts. That's so yeah. Like nuts. Uh, most of the other ones don't get press. Right. Yeah. Well, we just had that one that came to light here in San Diego. Um, and it was, I remember reading about it and it, it didn't really come to light. It was in like 2019. Um, I think I was just reading about this. Yeah, uh, I'm just looking to see. Um, yeah, so shit, where did it go? And already it's like out of the news. Um, mm. Yeah, just like that. <clears throat> this should tell you something. And it was in 2019. I mean, I'm a little unprepared for this. I'm sure I could dig it up, but um, it was like this woman, like it was basically just kept out of the, um, this woman's like son or something like, let me see if I can find something. Um, killed. I don't know why that is like so fuzzy. Well, so I noticed like I think you whenever you lean forward, there's something that you're doing, like the cord like goes over something, or like I don't know if you yeah. want to like pull yourself some slack out just to have um Well, none of the cords are touching or anything. Yeah. Well, I don't yeah. Um I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Uh should we end our podcast? Should we should we ask the research team what the colors of the day are? Yes, let's do that. And let's see. I think they just sent me a link. So here's the I will share the link with you. And we can look at these. Um 
So colors of the day. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. So um, while we're waiting for the colors of the day to come up, um, by all means, please email us and let us know what you think about this podcast or any other podcasts or topics ah. or if you want to say hello. Um, you can email Dana, our executive assistant. That's Dana, D-A-N-A, at fcbm.io. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we'd love to get your thoughts on whatever, good or bad. We don't care. We'll, yeah. We'll look at them. Um, yeah. And uh, so colors of the day. So we've got uh, the colors of the day. We've got cationic vinegar. <laughs> I love that one. Uh, and this is a, so this is kind of like a very light green color. Um and it's it's a hex, hexadecimal number. So again, if you're listening for the first time, uh, just go ahead and chuck this in Google and you'll see the color as well. It'll pull it up for you immediately. Um, but the value, uh, so octothorpe or hashtag or number sign, you're going to put in number sign, pound sign. You're going to put in the pound sign yep, and then you're going to put in C2E8C1. That's... Um, uh, what is C? Charlie. Charlie, right. Charlie 2 Echo 8 Charlie 1. Yeah. And that's going to give you this, uh, I don't know, like this is, some people might call this seafoam green related. Um, that's what I was thinking as well. It's a little I adjacent, also, yeah. It it reminds me, it's a little pale for seafoam green. It is a little like pale, a little yeah. too pastel. Yep. And so it reminds me of that, um, Super pale green depression era glass dishware. Yes. Yeah. It's like yep. opaque. Um, it's not see-through glass. It's like kind of like creamy, milky glass, but it's that very, very pale green. And that yeah. totally reminds me of this color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the complementary color is uh, benignant ebbing. Yeah. Or benign, benignant? Benignant. benignant. So I think benignant, it would be benignant is like malignant, right? Yeah. So benignant is a another term for benign, or a less common use in medicine for benign. Okay. Um. And I think it's pronounced benignant. Uh, I think I so too. Yeah. So benignant ebbing, and this uh, the value for this one is going to be. Um, God, I, I just hate. I'm going to not say hashtag. I'm just going to say hash. Okay. What like, I want to call it Octothorpe, but then I worry that people listening in are going to be like, "Well, what the fuck is an Octothorpe?" Right. You should listen to our episode about the Octothorpe for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, hashtag hash pound sign. Uh, anyway, number sign three delta one seven three echo. So that's three D one seven three E. This color reminds me of like an aubergine or an eggplant. Yes. Yeah. This is a very like deep, dark purple. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's definitely, um, its value is much closer to black than it is to white. Oh, yes. And it's, it's pretty smack dab in the sort of purplish spectrum or like its hue is very purple. Yeah. Um, it's like, pl- like a plummy purple, but yeah. there's not a lot of red in it. No. Nope. And there's not a lot of like blue in it. It's like very, like a muddy purple. Yeah. Subdued yep. purple. Yep. There's nothing flashy about this color. There's nothing flashy about this color. So those are the colors of the day. They will solve all your problems. If you're listening to this today mm-hmm. 
and you listen to it in the morning, you definitely want to make sure you grab some of these colors before you go out. You want to get yourself right. some cationic vinegar, put that somewhere on your outfit or mm -hmm. put that somewhere in the front of you. So you've in got that to reference and then you yes. want to give yourself some contrast with the uh, benignant ebbing. Right. Just need those right. two, get those things and you're going to be That's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. Get your <laughs> life together. Get it together. <laughs> get your poop in a group. <laughs> 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 oh, so oh, good so good yeah um <laughs> well yeah thanks for listening and uh thanks for thinking about some time perception i hope that sparks some interest um yeah i really can't stress enough how Ooh. much i'd like to hear people write back about that um, yes tell us about your weird time perception yeah like we know you're out there uh the data suggests that there are quite a few more listeners than I ever would have thought. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, we're definitely not in the realm of like, you know, some bullshit influencer. Mark Maron. <laughs> Mark Maron. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I, Rhett and Link. What? Rhett and Link. Rhett and Link. I don't, I don't yeah. know how many people they have listening to Ear Biscuits, but they have fuck tons of people watching their shows every day. Yes. Yeah. They get a, yeah. I mean, they have, and they've also been around a long time. I also yeah. don't know what I would do if, if we ever found ourselves in that situation, like I can't oh, imagine God. wanting any of that. I feel mm. like, I feel like our approach to the podcast has always been like, okay, we're not going to do very much work to get people to listen to this. Cause we definitely don't want that. <laughs> we don't want the responsibility. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, as long as I have, as soon as I have to do it for some reason, I'm going to, we're both going to be like, yeah. this feels painful. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then we're going to have to move on to something else because we won't be able to make ourselves do it. Right. I really, um, please don't I'll, like our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Please don't like our podcast. Definitely don't recommend it to friends. I mean, do like I, yeah. what I want is for people who enjoy it to listen to it. Same. Um, you know, I, that's what I want. And and I definitely wouldn't mind if people who have like-minded ideas or unlike-minded ideas and they want to mm -hmm. connect. That's, mm -hmm. yeah, that's a big, big part of it. I do yeah. think mostly we model this off of the Peter Draws method, the Peter Draws model. Yes. Um, because his, his shit is like, you look at some of his early videos and it's like, here's a man who just doesn't, like, he's doing it for the love of the thing so yeah. much. He loves doing it so much. His drawing, his art, um, it's so ridiculously entertaining and adorable and enjoyable and mm -hmm. like heartwarming and yeah, I really I can't say enough nice things about that man. Like he makes me yeah. so happy that he exists in the world. Yay, Peter. Yeah. So um all right, I don't know. That's all I got. Okay. Oh, I I do wanna say if people listen to our podcast enough, they probably realize like we always sort of like whisper at the end. Yes. Because for so many of Peter's like early videos that's how he ends them like he'd be yes. like I don't know what to say okay okay I love you okay bye like just okay, so it's so great <laughs> it's so great it's yeah. so great yeah <sighs> okay all right, all right. Uh, we should we should put a plug in it huh okay, okay. all right okay okay, okay.